Welcome to the Achieve Her Podcast, a podcast where we take the stigma out of success while you reach your educational and career goals. We encourage women to write their own definition of achievement while building a meaningful life. I'm your host, Bonnie Rodriguez Mortensen, and I am so glad you're here. Let's dive into today's topic. two episodes, you'll be introduced to Wendy Smith, Vice President of Insight, Planning Analytics, and Technology for Amazon. Along with her time at Amazon, Wendy is also a former VP of Finance for Johnson & Johnson. As a woman in the C-suite, Wendy is able to offer us a unique perspective on how the process of building your confidence can create opportunity in your career. I had the pleasure to sit down for two virtual interviews with Wendy. As you'll hear, she is incredibly warm and open. She freely shared her experience of being taught strategies by a corporate coach, which helped her boost her confidence while she advanced her career. I am positive you will have a number of takeaways from these episodes. I know I sure did. So in this first episode, Wendy shares strategic methods as we discuss the importance of presence. She shares how to position yourself in a meeting, literally, and how to draw positive attention to your contributions in meetings, presentations, and other interactions with colleagues and managers. Okay, We'd like to welcome Wendy Smith to our podcast today. Wendy is the Vice President of Finance at Amazon, and Wendy has some really unique insight and information to give us on women in the workforce. Wendy has climbed that corporate ladder and has been able to bridge that confidence gap that I think a lot of women do um, hesitate at whenever they are trying to either jump into the workforce or to even kind of go up that next level. And in today's job market, that is such an important piece for us as women to really be mindful of. What is your confidence? level? Um, Are you noticing your male colleagues are um, able to progress a lot easier and faster than you are? If so, then confidence gap could be be the issue that you're dealing with. So Wendy, first of all, welcome. We are so excited to have you with us. Thank you, Bonnie. And thank you for the opportunity to speak with you as well as the UVU audience. We would love to gain your insight um, as a woman who has had such an amazing, successful career in business, especially in finance, which is not typically something that um, an area that you would see a lot of women at the tip top of their profession. in. we would love to get your insight on bridging that confidence gap. What did you do and how did you progress up that corporate ladder? Thank you, Bonnie. Um, first of all, I just want to collaborate with you that uh, your observation is true. Uh, having worked uh, for many years, I do notice that it seems like with our male colleagues, they have an abundance of confidence and perhaps a little bit too much to the point of almost arrogance versus women are typically more humble and seem to be much more grounded. So on one hand, that is a great quality to have in an employee. On the other hand, you know, let's all be honest, in the business world, it's uh, often very cutthroat. Throat. 
vote. And we are pitted against our colleagues as also at the same time as our competition. So uh, taking a very humble attitude sometimes may or may not make you stand out as an employee. So I would like to maybe share some of the learnings I had over the years to maybe help some of our listeners on what tips they may be able to use to appear more confident. What are some of the most strategic areas you can see that we can really work on as women to to gain more confidence in the workplace? That's great. I really like the word you use is strategic because uh, I, I really think we need to think about this whole issue. It's a strategic issue, isn't it? So right. um, a few years ago, uh, Bonnie, when I worked at Johnson & Johnson, um, I was doing really well in my career and my uh, manager was uh, always wanted to develop me and he actually hired me a personal coach. And he hired me a coach not to you know help with you know terrible issues, but the idea was if you're already somebody who is an excellent employee, how could you get a coach who could kind of push you over the edge? Someone would give you the extra 5% to make you even more effective. And I really welcome that approach. So um, I had this wonderful partner um, and uh, she was my personal coach for about three years. And I learned a lot of tips from her, which I maybe you would like to share with the audience right now. We would love that. Great. So uh, one of the things that I really, uh, really use all the time is uh, a concept called a strategic witness. So that's why I really adhere to your uh, wording on strategic. So let's talk a little bit about what that means. So uh, what's a strategic witness? Okay. so this is someone who in a meeting situation or in a proposal situation is going to be willing to stand up for you. And remember, this is a witness, someone who will be willing to basically vouch for your idea. Mm -hmm. And the reason it's strategic is because you don't want to just ask anybody. Right. So let me give you an example of a good strategic witness. So, for example, most of the time, your manager will be a great witness for you, of course, because they should be very familiar with your work. They should understand 100 percent of what you're trying to push for. And they could be a great strategic witness for you. Now, a lot of times you really need to remember you need to find someone credible to be your witness. Of course, you know, if you find someone who nobody likes to work with or doesn't have a good reputation in the office, frankly, that might even hurt your credibility. So be careful on who you choose as a strategic witness. Uh, Let me give you an example where I have personal reach out to someone to be my strategic witness. So, for example, um, if I have a big proposal that needs to be uh, that needs to be pushed by myself uh, in a big meeting with, you know, lots of senior people in the room. What I would do is really try to take the two or three days in advance of that to review my proposal with someone that I believe would be a good strategic witness. So you always want to do this in advance of your big meeting. And uh, a lot of times I could either reach out to my manager or someone who, you know, I know has always had the same idea about my proposal. Someone that I know would be a supporter in the room, because uh, what a strategic witness does for you is instead of being the only voice in the room who who's pushing for your concept. You now have someone else who is also credible, respected by others in the room, who's going to jump in and say, hey, Wendy, or hey, Bonnie, I agree with your proposal. I really like it for these three reasons. And that immediately kind of opens up your horizon to this is no longer just Wendy or Bonnie's idea. This is now multiple people are in support of it. So you can see the power of that in a a presentation. (laughs) And uh, I would like to maybe share an actual example where I was able to use this strategic witness concept, if that's okay, Bonnie. Please, please. 
So a few years ago, I was making a basically a proposal. I was a CFO to uh, at Johnson. This is back about five years ago. I was the regional CFO for Johnson and Johnson's consumer business. I was based out of Singapore, working in Asia Pacific, and uh, I really wanted to shift our investment portfolio. When I looked at our investment portfolio, I felt like we were spending way too much money on one category. And I really wanted to shift our investment so that all of the categories and products that we have could all enjoy a similar level of investment. And for some reason, management for years have really favored one category and they felt like it had better growth potential. So they sunk all their money there. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, as you can imagine, the other product categories were suffering because they didn't have as much investment dollars and they were not getting the same similar kind of growth in 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 essence they were really being you know kind of harvested for profit versus being invested behind growth so what i saw once i arrived to the region and looking at the financials and the analytics behind the numbers i really felt like by giving more investments to all of the categories it's actually much more of a win-win because on one hand we were over invested in the investment category and probably wasting some money mm. on the other hand these smaller categories that were being harvested for profit before actually had a little bit of growth potential. And with some investment dollars, we can actually make the entire region's P&L better. So as you can imagine, making this kind of proposal is going to make some people happy and some people unhappy, right? right? So um, so when I, when I went in there, I actually really, I saw, you know, it doesn't help for me to find the category people to support me because they won't be credible. Either they'll be upset about it or they'll be super happy. And the super happy people, they will be like, why do we listen to you? Wendy's giving you money. So of course, you're going to be her strategic witness. So what I thought was that I actually reach out to the other functional heads. So for example, I talked with my HR VP. She is in human resources and she is not really, you know, personally invested in any of the categories. So for her to support me would basically show that another person who is totally partial, has nothing to gain, is also supportive of the idea. However, she is an HR and somebody might look at her role as in saying, you know, what does she really understand about financials? So I found myself another strategic witness, which was our business development VP. Now, in my company there, business development means you are going out to get to, to review mergers and acquisitions and sometimes work on divestitures. So you can tell this VP is someone who is very financially savvy, who is someone who is really good about you know, investments and portfolios. And I reach out to him as well to say, look, you know, we're both very impartial parties. I have this proposal. Let me review my analytics with you. And would you support me in the meeting and be my strategic witness? Mm. I actually use the word strategic witness. Nice. And he kind of smiled and said, okay, you know, I really like your approach. You're pre-selling just to me. And, you know, the, uh, the benefit I got out of it, Bonnie, was at the end of my pre-sell session with him, he actually said, I love this idea. You know what? If you even want to put me down as a co-lead on the project, I would be happy to help you lead it. He loved it so much that he wanted to be part of the project, which was an extra benefit that I didn't anticipate that happened, which was great. So now he has skin in the game. He feels like it's actually part of his proposal as well. So let me just say, uh, luckily for me, both of my strategic witnesses reacted brilliantly in the meeting when I got a lot of pushback from some of the general managers of the categories, frankly, who are losing money. They really helped me, you know, push the idea of, guys, we need to wear the bigger company hat. You know, you can't just worry about your own business and worry about losing money. You really should be a bigger, looking at the bigger picture and think about the entire category and how we can really make everyone successful. So I would say that was a really nice uh, example of where working in advance and finding the right strategic witnesses really helped me make a proposal successful. 
I love that you reached out to another woman and had another woman there backing you up. But then also um, you had this um, ally, this male ally that was able to come in and then see that strength of, of the proposal and then back you up. And then, like you said, get skin in the game. I mean, that that backup is so huge for women in meetings. I I feel like you, you have a stronger voice when you have voices of many speaking the same thing. And I love this idea of bringing people in um, as your backup. That's a, it's a great idea. And I love that you call it a strategic witness. I feel like we should have t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> I love that idea, Bonnie. And I also think that, uh, especially when you're new to an organization, or if this is a particularly hairy project where you know you'll you know receive a lot of opposition, I would really encourage everyone to use this, this concept because I think it could be really helpful. And expands your network. That's the other piece I love is when somebody then knows the detail of what is in your mind and what you're bringing to the table, your network is then expanded even further because that person is then going to possibly be an outlier that can bring in others too, to, to your viewpoint, or just even more strategic witnesses that, that possibly, Hey, Wendy just did this. Um, I love this idea. Maybe you should talk to her too. And they can bring other people on board. I love that. Excellent point. So give us some other examples. Sure. So another one is, uh, it's a simple concept, but I wanted to talk about where you want to sit when you're having a meeting. Ooh, yes. So I know that sounds kind of silly, but uh, it's all about logistics, <laughs> I say. Okay. So let's just pretend that we are in an oval, uh, I guess a uh, rectangular room, because I think most meeting rooms are like that. And imagine at the, uh, the head of the room is where the projection is. So that's basically where the screen is that, you know, your PowerPoint or whatever presentation you're making. So everyone is usually sitting in this elongated table, basically looking at the front of the room where the presentation will be made. Um, my coach at the time gave me the most interesting idea because I always thought the power seats were in the center of the room in the back, right? Because mm -hmm. that's usually where people usually sit. They want to sit in the center. They want to sit in the back. But her suggestion is actually, no, you want to put yourself in the middle. Oh. So you want, imagine this elongated rectangular table. She actually recommended sitting in the, in the middle instead of in the back. First of all, Everyone can hear your voice. It's a logistics thing. Everyone can hear you really well. And secondly, you are actually in the middle of the room. You can do much better observations and seeing how people are reacting to your ideas. Sitting in the back of the room, you actually can't see everything. So I really, really like that concept of sitting in the center of the attention is kind of the idea. Now, the one thing you want to be careful with something like this is understand your company culture. Okay, because every company has a funny sitting hierarchy in the corporate level. So some companies, the bosses always sit in the back. Hey, if that's the case, then you need to figure out exactly what's a good spot for you. In my old company, yes, the bosses always sat in the back. That's why sitting in the middle of the room was a perfect place to place yourself because you can see the whole room. You're closer to the projection screen, as well as you can basically read everybody's you know, facial expressions and see whether or not they're really engaged. So that's one thing. And then secondly, is you also want to think about where to place your strategic witness, okay? So this is assuming that we've got one or two strategic witnesses coming to the meeting with us. Where would you place them? So my suggestion is to actually put them almost directly across from you. What that means is you're also giving them the power seat, 
of being in the center of the room. And you can have actually wonderful, you know, exchanges with them, nonverbal exchanges by, you know, throwing them a glance here or there. If you're looking for some specific support, you can probably give them a look to say, hey, this is time for you to jump in. It's actually a great way to do some nonverbal communication, if you would, with your strategic witness. So this is just one situation. Every company is going to have different layouts for their rooms. But my suggestion here is really to basically put yourself in the center of the attention for the room and then also place your strategic witness in the center of the room as well, but perhaps across the way from you so that you can have the opportunity to have some, you know, productive nonverbal communications and help them be more supportive of you. So those are my ideas. And I uh, also have seen it happen many times in practice as well in various meetings where I found it really helpful. So how do you just have that conversation ahead of time and say, this is my plan. I'll be sitting here. Please sit across for me. You'll just have that conversation ahead of time. So that way you're not doing it in the meeting room. And yeah, frankly, uh, if you are able to write to the meeting early, I would sit where you are and then basically write on the piece of paper, your strategic witness's name and put them in those seats so that people know that those seats are reserved for those people. Uh, and obviously, if you're not available, maybe you could ask a colleague or a secretary to help you reserve those seats for you. But definitely try to get there early. I'm so glad you asked that logistic question, because if you're not there early, you're going to lose the good seats. Right. So make sure you get to your if it's an important meeting, either arrive early or, you know, send a colleague or someone to help you reserve those seats. And not communicating with that strategic witness also puts them in an awkward spot. If you're like, sit over there and they don't know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Perfect. Great point. What are what are some other some other issues that are some other topics that you uh, learned about from this coach? Now, there's one thing that I really liked was uh, what I would call a voice of reason. And uh, what does that mean? So um, so basically, I love this concept so much that I actually started using in my staff meeting. So with my leadership team meeting with my VPs and directors, I actually say, hey, let's always have a VOR in the room. So voice of reason. What we did... You know, frankly, this could be someone who either plays the devil's advocate or who's really thinking about the results that we're trying to achieve so that we don't become distracted. Okay, so what we always do is to say, hey, you need to be the voice of reason in the room. And I often find that women are particularly effective in being the voice of reason. Okay, so what kind of situation? So, for example, maybe we're talking about a specific thing in the meeting where people feel really emotional about it. And it turns into a big fight. Here comes someone who could be the voice of reason and say, hey, guys, we're all on the same team. We're all trying to do the best thing for the company and for the team. Let's not be emotional about it. Let's really think about what the problem statement is and try to solve it. So that's a voice of reason. Now, what about uh, sometimes, you know, in meetings, unfortunately, people go into terrible tangents. They get excited about one detail and they start drilling down. And then next thing you know, you get into frankly, unproductive discussions that's not helping anyone. Here comes the voice of reason. Hey, guys, let's raise from the details and really think about the big picture. What are we trying to solve? What do we need to do? And, and this is the one thing that happens almost all the time is everybody gets so excited about one topic, we keep talking about it, and it almost occupied most of the time for the meeting. The voice of reason absolutely needs to be there and say, we're spending way too, to- way too much time on this topic, guys. We need to move on or we won't accomplish everything we need to do. So there are multiple applications, as you can see, for voice of reason. I really feel like that's such an advantage for women 
especially if you're the most junior person in the room. A lot of times in the finance function, we are always right. the most junior person in the room. You could be a financial analyst, but, you know, there's presidents and directors in the meeting and you're there trying to, you know, help out. So I think as a junior person, this is something that could really give you a role in the meeting because you might be a little bit intimidated, right, to, to, to make the decisions or to right. cut in on some big debates. But as a voice of reason, you will always have a role in the meeting. You, you're almost a facilitator in some ways, but you're basically the conscious of the meeting to try to keep everything on track as well as on the point and on strategy. So it really sets you apart as well as someone who is not only, you know, serving a functional role, but someone who who is seeing the big picture and really trying to advance the agenda. And it really, really sets you apart. So I really love to have this role. And I feel like someone who is more junior and women, or, or if you're new to a situation where maybe you're a little bit intimidated to attend a meeting with a bunch of really senior people, I would say, think of yourself as a voice of reason for the meeting. And then, um, and then always, you know, make sure that you're a little bit, I guess, have to be a little bit brave about making your points, but, and, and there's nothing wrong with saying the word voice of reason, by the way. I have actually used it in the meeting where I actually say, hey, excuse me, everyone, can I be the voice of reason here? Don't you all think we're getting too emotional? I would really like for us to focus on the business and not on the emotional issues. I have actually used the actual word voice of reason. So I really recommend women and anyone who's relatively new to a situation to try to think about applying this in the meeting. I love that you're giving us terminology to use as well, because I think especially a junior uh, person to not have that terminology and to not really know how to bring that voice in. Um, I love that you're giving us this terminology to where we can actually put it into practice. And I also love the idea that being the voice of reason is a very a great way, to, as you said, to set yourself apart, but without it looking like you're coming in with your own agenda to, to boost yourself up. It, it doesn't look like you're just pushing yourself forward in the meeting. It looks like you're actually bringing the company's best interest to heart, which is, I think, very enduring for a lot of um, a, a lot of your managers or just even anyone that's in the room with you. I'm sure that they will appreciate that point of view. You know, that's such a great observation, Bonnie. That's why I said when it sets you apart, because it really shows that you're thinking about the bigger picture right? and not being bogged down in the details or the emotional issues like everyone else. It's definitely set you apart. So great observation. Now, one more thing I'd like to share, if I may, um, is uh, to show confidence is how do you manage or lead versus do so let me just take a moment and describe that. So first of all, I would encourage the audience to first decide whether or not you want to be a leader, because I also know that everyone has you know, different objectives in life. You know, some people are very happy to be the leader and some people are very happy to be the follower. So this advice is probably more for people who really would like to lead and they're looking for the opportunity to be a manager or to be a boss and they would really be interested in leading. So if you really want to be a leader, then what I would say is are the two concepts that you really want to lead versus do. So let me just explain quickly. So if you think about it, Somebody who does something well, so the doers who do well, guess what happens in their career when they do well? The thing happens is they get more to do, <laughs> right? So if you're a really good worker, guess what? They will just give you more work to do, right? But this is what happens when you step back and lead. 
instead of just do a, doing a great job on that report, you take a leadership stand and say, you know what? You go back to your boss and say, I know you gave me this report. I've done a really great job doing it for you. But I noticed a few things in here where I can make some changes. I noticed that we can maybe make the format better or make it longer or shorter to provide more insight. I've made some you know, improvement suggestions for you also. Now, that's taking a leadership stand. So do you think your boss or your manager next time would just give you more work to do? In fact, they might find the report that is having trouble and hand that over to you and say, hey, I noticed that you're a leader. You're someone who can solve problems. I have, you know, I actually need some help with this problem here. Would you help me? So all of a sudden, you have set yourself apart as a leader versus a doer. So this is something that I think in particular for women, for women, we really need to keep in mind because I think as women, we are all very collaborative and we are all willing to jump in and help. But when you're jumping in and help, I would ask you to step back for a moment and say, am I just only making this project as good as it would have been without my assistance? Or should I try to make this as an opportunity to set myself apart by making some additional recommendations? So instead of doing, I'm actually taking it as an opportunity to lead. So I'd like everyone to start thinking about that. And it could you know, go with really small things like a report. And it could be as big as a thing as like if you're on a project for a company on a huge you know, transformation project where you guys are doing different things. Now, just remember, how can I add more input as a leader versus just a doer? Because that's something that could really right. help set you apart and also build your confidence. Because the more you lead, the more people will notice you. And the more they'll actually recognize you and start recommending you, frankly, for other projects and, and proposals. And that really helps build strategic witnesses for yourself as well as you'll become more confident as you start to see these successes. This is a great point, because I think as women, we do tend to be the doers. We tend to take on more to yep. prove that we have the ability to do a job um, rather than just I love the idea that you said offer some suggestions rather than just, you know, taking on more of the work. Here are some ways that I can help you make this better. That is such a much more you're you're taking on a little bit more um, responsibility. But at the same point, the expression that you're giving back is I'm I'm here to, to help facilitate some some changes. And like you said, you're giving more of a leadership role. So rather than that doing piece, which I think we, we do, I know I've done it myself where I've taken on several projects. And I wish I would have had this advice in my earlier career where I could have just said, here are some suggestions to make that better rather than me just taking it on. I love that. So it's such a great observation to that difference between lead versus do it. You know, Bonnie, the funny thing is if I may give a personal observation is that at home I've been doing, you know, as you know, now we're all working from home. We're eating from home a lot more and mom gets to do a lot more dishes. And and I was actually reviewing our notes here to get prepared for the podcast. And I thought, you know, I'm doing all the dishes. I should be a leader. So I've been asking my kids to help with the dishes. And in turn, you know, they get, you know, extra electronic time and fun things. We make it rewarding, of course, to make it fun. But now I, I'm very pleased to say kids are good at doing dishes too now. <laughs> now, here's a situation I want to propose to you, Bonnie, is what if you're arriving to a meeting late, especially if it's a meeting with some really important people and you're like, oh, goodness, I really shouldn't have been late for this meeting. Now, have you ever seen someone arrive at the meeting? They have, you know, a handbag, a work bag, three binders on their 
you know, on their shoulders and maybe even a cup of coffee. It's just totally crazy. Yes. And you, what would you think about that person? That they are so disheveled and, and not on the ball. And yes, it, it does not make paint a pretty picture at all. Now, and, and it was probably their fault that they're late. Probably. Um, you're probably going to assume that. And that. Would you assume they're, would you feel like they're a leader? Not so much. You would yeah, probably, probably not. I mean, you wouldn't not. know the person very well, but not a good first impression. Now, how about here's another person arriving to the meeting late. They only have a notebook in hand. They sat down very quickly. They didn't, you know, try to disrupt the meeting. And uh, and they basically began to participate. And when they started participating, they actually said, by the way, sorry, I was a little bit late. I was held up in another meeting. Now that I'm here, I'd like to start answering some questions. Now, how do you feel about that person? That is a much more uh, leadership stance for, for anyone to walk in the door and, le- and less disruptive. Somebody That's running right. in while bumbling is very disruptive in a meeting. Exactly. So I would just say, you know, when you arrive to a meeting late, just think about which person you want to be. I think I don't think any of us want to be the first person that appears disheveled and confused. I would just say, be careful. You know, if you have to be late to a meeting, you know, don't bring all these things with you. Try to simplify it and try to not disrupt the meeting. Sit down and still look very confident, because guess what? When you come into a meeting late that way, people are actually going to think, boy, they probably have better place to be. And that's why they're late. And they're going to make excuses for you and be okay right. with you being right. late, if that makes sense. So that's more of a simple concept. But then um, the one last thing I would just like to mention is one um, that's about uh, women and how we could really make ourselves um, more unique. Okay. So I know a lot of times with women, we... Um, we have to worry a lot more about our appearances. You know, how long can our hair be? Should we tie our hair back? You know, do I wear a suit today? Do I not wear a suit today? And let's be totally honest, our male colleagues probably don't think as much you know, about their appearances or as much about what jewelry they're wearing for the day. Now, one case study I've always had was Madeline Albright. As you guys remember, she was the secretary of state a few years ago. And, um, one thing Madden Albright always did was, I like you, if you Google her images, you'll see that in her suit, she would always wear some kind of a pin. And that's actually how she communicated with people with her pin. Uh, one meeting she went with NATO, where they had a longly debated proposal that's taken many months to be approved. She actually wore a pin that had a turtle on it because she was actually mocking her colleagues to say they're being too slow. So uh, she actually uses her pin to communicate very subtle messages. There was one time when she unfortunately had to go to a fallen soldier's funeral. And of course, her pin had the American flag on it out of respect for the country, as well as for the unfortunate loss of a life. So so I would say, you know what, as women, let's let's have fun and, and make our accessories help us stand out. You know, I have also since then used, you know, purchase a few pins just to make things pop out. And guess what? My male colleagues sometimes would actually make comments on my pin and tell me that, oh, they really like my pin and they felt like it, you know, brings a little bit of, you know, life to my outfit, which is so fun when your male colleagues actually recognizes that. So um, I think pins are always a fun way for you to communicate a message, especially around holiday times. You know, if you love Halloween, you love Christmas, what's wrong with wearing something season seasonal and appropriate for the time? Another one is, um, I've tried this a few times. This is kind of interesting is if you have, if you like to wear jewelry and you have some rings and my coach told me one time, she said, wear a ring, a large ring. And when you're making a very, very stern point, this is when you're making a strong point, you actually would point 
with your finger that's wearing the large ring and try to make a point. And I just thought, oh, well, I don't think that's going to work. Honestly, when I first heard from her, I'm like, that's just a piece of jewelry. Like, why would I do that? But she's like, believe me, just try it. And sure enough, I had this really, you know, t- serious compliance meeting where I literally had to challenge multiple people for, you know, pretty bad practices. That was a very emotional me- meeting, as you can imagine, because I was literally as a CFO right. trying to correct some pretty bad unethical behavior. And in the end, when they were not really listening to me, I thought, you know, what, I'm going to try the ring thing. So I actually did. I actually pointed at a slide in the presentation, a very particular point about company policy. I pointed at that. I didn't point at the person because I think that would be inappropriate, but I pointed at something in the presentation and said, guys, at the end of the day, the principle we need to adhere to is the company policy. Let me read the policy for you word for word. And I need to know how you're going to commit to me today that you will not violate this policy again. And interestingly, after the meeting, uh, it was a very tough two hours. And I felt like I was you know, completely exhausted at the end of the meeting. Two or three of my, you know, toughest adversaries in the meeting came up to me and said, you know, I really like how you made that point. And you were so strong about it. I know we debated about it for two hours, but when you actually just pointed out to us, it made everything make sense. And then one person actually said, well, I like your ring. You know, what what is that stone? You know, so, (laughs) you know, it was just a little bit cute that the men would actually notice our jewelry. But you know what? It it is a, a visual. All it is is a visual cue for someone to pay attention to something that you're saying. So I really, you know, enjoyed making that point. I didn't really think, you know, I was actually a little embarrassed to, to try a tactic that's a ring, but it actually worked out really well for me. Now, ever since I joined Amazon, people love to put stickers on the back of their laptops. So when you're in the meetings, when you flip up your laptop, you know what they're passionate about. And I actually love that idea. Like personally, like if you look at my laptop, I have some things about diversity and inclusion because I really believe in it. I support the Women in Finance Network. I also support the Asians at Amazon Network. So I have their stickers on there. And of course, I have the sticker of my own team that we've created. So um so I would say as long as it's, you know, professionally appropriate for your company's right. culture, right. you know, stickers on your computer laptop seems to be a fun way to do as well. So I would say, you know, nothing too extreme, nothing expensive, but just think about maybe there are small, subtle ways to make yourself stand, stand apart a little bit. Now, one thing I do want to warn you is, is scarves. Now, a lot, I know a lot of ladies enjoy wearing scarves and I've seen scarves as a pick me up for someone where they're. They look very tidy or they look very fashionable and the scarf actually helps. And I've also seen scarves where somebody who doesn't wear very properly and it keeps falling off their shoulder or they keep playing with it actually becomes a deterrent. So I would just say if you're a lady who loves scarves, you know, just be careful on how you wear it and and make sure that it's not a distraction for you versus something that actually helps you stand apart. Now, there's one more thing uh, as we're talking and kind of reminded me of is, is uh, especially since, you know, we're really talking about confidence here, is how we can stop auditioning for our jobs. So one of the things I've noticed, uh, even, you know, frankly, sometimes with strong women leaders that I work with, I feel like they're constantly trying to prove themselves, you know. So whenever you talk to them, they're so worried. They overprepare for everything. And they seem to always trying to say, hey, the last person in this job was wonderful, so I have to do even better. So uh, a lot of times I would just kind of give them some coaching and say, look, you need to stop auditioning for your job. And they look at me like, what do you mean by that? So what I mean by that is, you know what, somebody gave you this job. You were qualified. You were selected. In fact, you may be the best person for the job. And that's the reason why you're there. 
Okay. Right. So stop thinking about all the ways that you can mess up and start thinking about all the ways you can make yourself better by being the best that you can in that position. And I find that as women, seems like we always think that we're, we may not be good enough for a job. So I'll tell you, over the, all the years I've worked in corporate, sometimes I would have, let's say, a director level job open. You should see the number of men that apply for the job who are not qualified at all, shouldn't even bother to, <laughs> to apply. Meanwhile, I would actually have to approach some women and say, would you like to apply for this job? And they'll be like, oh, I don't think I'm ready for it. I'm like, you're kidding me. You would be excellent. You know, so women, a lot of times we almost feel like we have to be a hundred percent ready for that next promotion or a hundred percent ready for that next big job. And meanwhile, men, they barely had 10, 15% and they've got enough confidence to say, Hey, I'm going to play. And they pick me, Heck, maybe I can make it work. Right? right. So I would just say now, of course we can't change our personalities overnight. I'm not saying everybody go and be too arrogant, but the point is, you know, have enough confidence in your abilities, you know, be the one to be willing to take a risk and say, you know, I like, you know, I think I can go for that promotion. You know, prepare yourself for those things. And especially most importantly, when you do get the job, be confident about your own abilities. There's a reason why this company or your boss gave you this assignment. You absolutely deserve it. So stop auditioning for it. It's a job that you've already earned and start doing things to make it better. Great advice. I know she's fantastic, right? I mean, how much do you love the concept of seeking a strategic witness and who doesn't want to be the voice of reason in any meeting that you're attending? Thanks for joining me today. And don't forget, follow us on Instagram at Achieve Her Podcast. Look for the episode post and leave a comment. Tell us what your favorite takeaway is. You'll also find our version of show notes. They're in our post complete with book recommendations and a Spotify playlist to correspond with our monthly theme. 